Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe that we've been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You're telling me producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our originals page when shopping for books and movies we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great conversations. I was so excited for our big Star Trek film franchise series this season. All those movies adapted from Gene Roddenberry's original 1960s TV show. As a huge fan, I know that you geeked out over analyzing the adaptations. Absolutely. From the motion picture to the Kelvin timeline films, seeing the Enterprise crews on the big screen was a dream come true. Our list of source material isn't just all books and plays. We have the original series in our list of source material. You can rent the episodes to watch and enjoy and support the show in the process. For our Millennium Trilogy series, we covered films adapted from the original books that launched Lizbeth Salander, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Girl Who Played with Fire, and The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest. As much as I love Fincher's version, the original Swedish versions are the way to go. We also did our Die Hard series in Season 7. I can't believe Die Hard and Die Hard 2 were adaptations! Two of the greatest action movies ever. Well, one of them at least. The other is awfully fun, though. We revisited the classic Mary Poppins for our 1960s movie musical series. A spoonful of sugar always helps the medicine go down. Old Boy was intense for our Park Chan-wook Vengeance trilogy. And East of Eden and Giant were highlights of our James Dean series. And a fun time travel mind bender with predestination to cap things off. Find all the books behind these adaptations and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Dive into the source material for your favorite movies. Check it out today. Thenextreel.com slash originals. The trailer, Andy, uh, the trailer, I put two in there, but I picked the one because I'm so upset that Lucy McLean uh, is not in the movie, but she is in this trailer. 
Is that just because Mary Elizabeth Winstead returned to play the bit because part? Because she's so good at <laughs> everything, you actually... Andy. Everything. <laughs> she's good at everything. Or is it really because you feel like she brought a lot she's to the table? She's good at like bocce ball and pinochle. <sighs> and I would, I would play any party game that she was involved with. She makes a she great makes a great canopy. She does. Oh, Andy, her seven layer dip. What were those things in Silver Linings Playbook? The little crab. Crab, crabby pops or... <laughs> oh man oh i wish i had that little bit of trivia right on my tongue i don't I do too i do too. oh yeah oh, well. so this trailer the first trailer trailer one it it's the teaser it's definitely the teaser and it it feels more like an awards ceremony uh montage to me it's like 15 frames of every explosion cut together <laughs> To Ode to Joy. Yeah, and then Ode to Joy with, like, repeating notes. Just it yes. keeps going <laughs> just so you can get more explosions. And, and because this movie is better if you're actively having a stroke. That's the that's what I feel like the movie's music's <laughs> yeah. trying to do. In both cases. I mean, the second one gives you, I guess, a little bit more of the story and everything. But again, it's really emphasizing... It's not even emphasizing, like, the good stuff about Die Hard. It's emphasizing explosions and action and, and more kicking ass and more and more and more. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like Rennie Harlan stepped up to a frightening new level. That's right. You know, it is. It's interesting use of mu- music with all the, the, you know, the boomy stuff. It really does scream that you sh- that it's an action movie and you need to bow down before it but even in the trailer i still struggle with uh, seeing from bruce willis any sense of commitment from him <laughs> that he really wants to be there it is these are cold vacant eyes of john mcclane that I, I feel like at the end of every sequence he was face palming uh, himself why did i agree to do this it feels that way in the trailer, and uh, we'll find out soon if we felt that way about the film. But it really, it really uh, has that kind of tired sense, and I think it's just they. This is one of those things where the the people behind the trailers looked at the finished product that was given to them of the film and said, "Well, there's really not much here. I guess we'll just show a lot of explosions." <laughs> <laughs> Like a charm. Work like a charm. Dad, try... Try not to make an even bigger mess of things. Get the cut. Dumb. First time in Moscow? Yeah. First time. American? New York. Are you a cop? Yeah. Welcome to Moscow. Jack! Dad? This is the next reel, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson. Hey, hey, hey. And we spoil movies. Tonight on the show, John Moore takes the helm of the fifth and final film in our series, making us wish it was a good day to die hard. Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And if you enjoy this show and are interested in supporting our ongoing work investigating great film, please consider a regular donation through our Patreon page. 
You'll get to join our back channel conversations on Slack, listen to the members-only weekend show, The Saturday Matinee, and get to help us pick movies for future series. We have two films and upcoming series that were voted on by our Patreon members. Just head on over to patreon.com slash the next reel. Need a hug? We're not a hugging family. Damn straight. John Moore uh, is the director of this film, Andy. John Moore. He is a <sighs> very special kind of energy, this guy. Listening to his commentary and um, watching kind of the behind the scenes of him and everything, I really had a sense, okay, this is a guy who clearly enjoys movies and has a fun time making movies. But, you know, we all love it when somebody comes into a franchise or or has a passion for filmmaking and they 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 know the franchise and they know you know the, the all the bits and pieces and they they're going to do some interesting stuff with it you know i mean regardless of what people say about jj abrams there's a lot of interesting stuff that he's brought to some of these uh, big mega franchises that he's sure. kind of tapped into um, well you can say the same thing about len weisman from last yeah, week yeah absolutely len yeah. weisman from last week right. with this one with john moore i i got a sense listening to him talk that sure He's a guy who understands the franchise and everything, but he also is a guy that doesn't really have any sense of kind of the humanity of some of the core elements that also go into what makes Die Hard work. And I mean, listening to him talk, I mean, he went on and on like he knew every single model of gun that is used. Like he is a walking IMFDB, the Internet yes. Movie Firearms Database. Like it's just freaky how much he knows about all of these different weapons every single helicopter uh you know the 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 tanks just all these big vehicles like he knows everything um and he he was constantly praising the stunt work and and the amazing effects work and everything he's very much a guy who who understands all that and that's great like he's got a good handle on all of those elements but what i felt was lacking was any sense of kind of the core understanding of some of the humanity that goes into it and if you look at the 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 breakdown of films that he's directed uh, Behind Enemy Lines uh, it was where he kind of got his start. Flight of the Phoenix, the remake, The Omen, the remake, and then Max Payne from the video game. Um, I, you know, I just don't feel like, uh, you know, he's uh, that great of a director. I don't feel like he's bringing that much uh, into the projects, maybe not necessarily a great sense of humanity. And it makes me wonder why the producers picked him. And I, I really kind of at a loss, uh, you know, what were they looking at when they went into um, uh, finding the right director to helm this uh, fifth film of the franchise? Yeah, totally. And I can't believe you didn't bring up IT. I, I know he did it after A Good Day to Die Hard, but man, does it cement the case you're making uh, uh, of just, uh, you know, absolute fawning over the technology, uh, even when it's ridiculous, uh, at the expense of the humanity. That's, that is totally missing. And as a result, I hate John McClane in this movie. Oh, He's, boy, yeah. I just hate him. He's not the guy. He's not John McClane. And uh, Jack McClane, uh, you know, I don't know what they, they were intending. I'm sure someone somewhere thought at some point, wouldn't it be great if we could hand off the reins uh, and make this uh, the, the, you know, make Jai Courtney the next John McClane? Uh, you, can, you can feel it in their final sequence together as, he's, you know, they're talking about their names. It's just there. Uh, in the DNA, and it they can't pull it off because uh, it is a film that is absent. It even as it aspires to be a, a, a father son 
you know, exploration in the midst of chaos, it it fails to to deliver uh, on on every count. What's funny about what you just said is that I actually uh, Jai Courtney is not an actor who I've ever been overly drawn to. I think he's interesting. He's made some interesting choices. I mean, he was. He's been in some really bad movies, unfortunately, like Suicide Squad and, and Terminator Genesis. But he, I actually like him as Jack McClane. I actually really kind of thought I can buy that. I can buy him as the son of John McClane. I think that he was a really interesting choice that that could work really well. And it's just such a shame that this was the movie that he was given to be uh, to be uh, kind of continuing in, in John McClane's footsteps because it just was so bad. And it's, it's so frustrating because it was an interesting choice to have him playing the son. You, you know, and I, I'll uh, amend my prior comment. It's not that, uh, it's not anything against Jai Courtney. In fact, the pairing of uh, Bruce Willis and Jai Courtney as this father-son duo I wanted to love it because I, you know, obviously I love John McClane and you're right. I think Jai Courtney has a lot to offer. I think I like him more than you do. Um, and uh, so I, I feel like I probably the level of my disappointment was greater in him because I, I wanted him to be that that character. But he didn't as a result of this sort of the vapidness of the script uh, and and the as you say, the lack of humanity on screen, I really struggled to feel like like there was any uh, allegiance to the McLean family uh, that I feel like we've we've grown to understand. Yeah, and I was torn if that was coming from uh, Skip Woods as the writer, uh, if it was coming from John Moore as the director, if it was coming from uh, the producers, uh, you know, Wick Godfrey and the rest of the producers who were behind this saying, yes, this is the script, yes, this is the director. Uh, whether it was Bruce Willis, who, you know, he's hitting an age where he's just like, you know, I I, I want to gamble. I, I, I like to gamble. I like to, you know, see if this is going to be the one that that uh, that works. And uh, just, you know, I mean, he's getting older and maybe he saw a script. And he's like, yeah, this got some good stuff in it. I think it could work. And he signed off on it because he was just afraid, you know, wait a couple more years and I'm not going to be able to do another one. You know, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what it was, but uh, I mean... Skip Woods. I mean, looking at the credits uh, that he uh, of other projects that he, that he's written, very I mean, sword, similar kind of yeah, aesthetic to right. John Moore. Swordfish, yeah. the Hitman movies, X Men Origins, Wolverine, the A Team. Nothing that stands out as something that says yes, this is the guy who should be writing the next Die Hard movie. So it just all in all, it just everything kind of led down this road of uh, of something that was yes, it was bigger. Batter. It had huge explosions. Mega car chase uh, toward the beginning that has toward a lot of good beginning, stuff. Toward the beginning, it's the whole. Yeah. It's first the first act half of the movie. The right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's funny that you that you, you say this like that because all these these movies, you know, I can find something redeeming in Swordfish, in Hitman, in X Men Wolverine. Yeah, I said it. Even the A Team. Like there are some things in these movies as as giant spectacle popcorn movies that are imminently more forgivable. The problem is they did that to a franchise that had that that w- had some momentum to it, right? It was coming off of a movie that we both liked a lot. Uh it is a character that is beloved and they took it places that 
uh, are silly at best and uh, at, at the expense of, you know, remembering kind of who this is and who it's playing for. Uh, and I find that really disappointing, especially because, as I said before, I like John McClane older, and I think this he's even older here. Uh, I think there was a lot of opportunity that they, they just missed. They they missed opportunities and um and like you are like you said, they they did things to the John McClane character that actually kind of ruin some of the stuff that that had been so good about him throughout. The thing that like the, I mean the car chase is a good example. We're we're gonna talk more about it. Uh, I don't want to get into it too much, but I mean there are a lot of examples throughout where McClane. I, I mean I guess I'll just you know say this one. Um, he, he basically, he needs a vehicle. And so he's trying to flag a car down in the street. A guy accidentally runs into him and knocks him to the ground. He rolls over. McLean gets up and goes up to the guy, decks him. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Gets in the car. Yeah. Like and really you can hard tell punch. it's hard because the sound effect is so hard. <laughs> exactly. It's a shotgun blast. <laughs> Terrible. He, he gets in the car. He drives off. And then as, as he, as he's driving away, he shouts out the window to the guy he just punched and stole his car. He says, it's okay. I'm fine. Thanks. It's <laughs> like, a jerk. I'm like, this is not the McLean that I liked. I mean, yes, McLean was kind of a, you know, a smart ass and he would, you know, kind of say these sorts of things, but it's like, but he was always doing it in the sense of trying to be good and help people. And here he is, he's, he's not a cop. I mean, he's in a foreign country. And he's all, that's another thing. Like he's always been so good in the other films about the jurisdictions and everything. And and yes, he gets frustrated and irritated when there are those idiot cops that he has to deal with. But if they're, if they're effective cops, he's perfectly fine dealing with them. You know, he's, he's good about being a part of the team. Um, But I mean, here it's just like a complete disregard for any life outside of his own or the other cars. It's just, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and I, I love that you brought up, you know, respect for authority uh, because we, we just finished a movie where they resolved the silliness of, you know, lampooned cops. And uh, in, in this movie, he's just, again, he's just a jerk. And I find that r- really frustrating. What is the deal with the antagonist? Who do you hate in this movie? Like, who are we set up to really dislike? That's a great question. It's it's a nonsense set of antagonists. I mean, we get not one, not two, but three uh, in this in this ever, uh, you know, Russian doll. I mean, it's funny yeah. having to say that, but, you know, the Russian doll thing of like, nope, that's not the bad guy. Oh, this is the bad guy. Oh, wait, Psych. that's not the bad guy. There's, this is the bad guy. It's like, really? And, and really, I guess it ends up being four bad guys, right? Well, yeah, yeah. I, I guess. Uh, and then, uh, right, because the, the turn, when daddy shoots... Alec and the daughter turns around and says, Daddy, you're the best. It's it is a perversion on so many levels. It is a perversion. It's it's frustrating. It really is. And it's you know, there are weird things with the antagonist. I mean, that's that's part of the one of the many problems is the the real delineation of what story thread you know, are we following here? I mean, I, I it, this political totally. angle involving like the stealing of the the plutonium. So I guess they can start World War Three. I guess is the main thing. But it's like, okay, but you've got this one political figure who's in office. Um, you've got this one political figure who who is in jail, and they are friends. Um, then there's a th- bad thug, and then there's the bad daughter. 
and uh, trying to piece all that together and like how they're all working together or not together and coming after the the guy who's the the one who's in power I mean, there's that weird shot where it's like the one who's in power, he's like, it's a slow-mo walk as he's walking out of a building with like a whole slew of like, it looks like priests or something behind him. I'm like, <laughs> what, what is, that who, all about? is this his army? What, who are these people? <laughs> they never come into play anywhere in the movie. It's just some random shot. And it's 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 like so poorly set up to the point where it's like the antagonists are like this this you know, blob of, of nothingness. You just take all these people and mush them together. And it's like, you don't really get anything. Good. Yeah. And, and therefore you don't care. And it, none of that is improved by the fact that you really don't like John McClane either. So when you ask the question, who am I supposed to, to not like in this movie? Well, I already don't like everybody. Yeah. So like, I have a really hard time kind of diving into the narrative. It, it was work to watch this movie. It was really work. I had to force myself to stop and pay attention because so many turns, I just don't care. Do you feel like, I mean, this is our third film in a row in this series where we have just a really strong, uh, like a kick-ass female bad guy. Um, the first In the third film, we had um, the, the girlfriend of one of Simon uh, Gruber's uh, thugs right the who, silent who's butcher. really his his girlfriend yeah yeah then then in the last film we had maggie q as the fantastic uh you know fighter who's working with uh, uh with gabriel um now we have the the daughter who's kind of in on this whole thing and um and you know she flies the helicopter and she's the one who she and her dad are behind this whole thing i don't know i i was like is it is this trend getting really tired now of having these like strong females, or is it just tired because this one is just so badly written? <laughs> no, this I really think this one is just badly written. It's just a bad character. I adore having the the strong female antagonist. I I love it. I mean, bring bring me the the sort of counter character. Uh, I'm in huge favor of that. And I think we have you know in Maggie Q we had just a stellar example of of when you can do it really really well. Uh, this movie it, it, you just was not it was not believable and and. I, I, I don't know discredit to uh, Julia Snigier, right, as as uh, Irina. I, I think she's a fine actor, and I just think she was given something that was a mess. And, and because you couldn't track her uh, throughout the narrative of the film, you didn't care whatever skills she brought to it. And maybe flying that giant, you know, MI-26 at the end was, was too much. Well, and I think you're right. I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, I was uh, being slightly cheeky when I was asking that question. I mean, I absolutely love having strong female antagonists. And I just feel like it's it's just a shame that um, that really, I mean, I, I can't even blame the fact that it's just a, a, a not a great female antagonist. It's really just not great writing all across the board throughout this film. And if it was written well, I think it, it could have been a really interesting part. Like you said, if the father-daughter relationship really could have worked as a nice theme, balancing out the father-son relationship that we have with, with John and Jack. You know, that could have been a nice comparative thing going on in this film. Instead, it just felt like this forced plot element that they just lobbed onto it um, that just it doesn't work at all because it's just it's just badly written. I'm telling you, man, the story we need is John and Jack McClane going up against Meryl Streep playing old lady Gruber. Uh, she comes <laughs> right, comes back 
Are you with me? Do you feel it? Oh, oh wait, who was the dad groomer that? Oh, that Nick said over on uh, on Slack. <laughs> oh, Father Gruber was uh, Michael Gambon. <laughs> Oh, Michael Gambon and Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep as father and mother Gruber. I want that so badly. That's the movie I want. That's what I want out of Die Hard Six. I want, and that can be. That's fine. Make that the handoff to Jai Courtney. Give him some strong stuff. Here's the thing: Why did they send him to Russia? And I don't mean, uh, you know, in the context of this story. Why did they send John McClane to Russia? We're going to talk about that point, too. Uh, But why was it important as the story grew beyond its bounds of United States domestic? Why was it important that that we even have a diehard that's set in Russia? Well, I thought about that for a little while, trying to figure out, okay, so so diehard, the franchise is constantly trying to find a way to to not only be bigger than the last one, but also constantly escape the diehard in a blank kind of mold that it ended up creating because of the first movie. They didn't want it. So it's made it tricky. So, I mean, and you do have it. Diehard in a building, diehard in an airport, diehard in New York City, diehard die in, hard in Chernobyl. Right. It's like it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And yeah, I don't know. I, I felt like... The thing that I came to as I was kind of stewing over why Russia this time, and I think it was they needed they or they were trying to put um, John McClane in a situation where he was dealing with his son, but they wanted his son to kind of have a one up on him. And, and I thought that was kind of an interesting angle by making his son be like a CIA spy and actually be kind of better than John McClane at what John McClane always did. Um and so that was the angle that I figured they went for. Did it have to be Russia? No, I mean, it could have been anywhere. But I, I figured, okay, CIA, I mean, it could have been FBI, it could have been something. And so to that end, I don't know why they had to go Russia. But I, I thought that the reason that they chose to go out of the country was because they wanted his son to be this bigger, better version of his dad. And here he is, the CIA guy. I guess I can see that. I, I think the the thing I struggle with is that it it felt so contrived. I mean it actually in fact feels more like Die Hard in the Kremlin than you know had they put him on at least familiar turf, right? That the whole fish out of water uh you know gestalt here is so played. It is so played. You, you know, what would happen if we took John McClane and we put him in the I mean it's just it is ridiculous and and uh manufactured and I just that's part of the problem with the movie is that you know you're you're watching this thing and it gives up some of the ridiculousness like some of the forgivables the things that that you know maybe it could have earned the third act had the first two acts been strong and cemented in a foundation of reality that i can really wrap my head around a reality that that has earned itself through this character and through this character's motivations and and as you said humanity but because it is silly from the get-go it has lost all credibility by the time it gets to the end and they bring out the magical radiation cleaning chemical uh (laughs) that uh, that i just i don't even i mean it's just head slappingly bad yeah i mean you're right there's there's not a lot of reason for them to have written it this way but it boils down to all these decisions that from the producers to the studio to the writer to the director um, to and to anyone, tax credits. Really. I mean, I'm sure they had yeah, tax well, credits to shoot I mean, in uh, Bulgaria, or wherever Bulgaria, yeah, wherever they shot. Yeah. 
it's it all boils down to these elements that they um, were trying to squeeze in to shoehorn the next Die Hard movie and do it, you know, as quick as they could on the heels of uh, number four, which was uh, six years before. And, yeah, and right. you know, I'm guessing that they were, you know, it's one of those things. When a franchise is making money, they don't want to wait too long and because it just becomes riskier and riskier. I mean, I think they lucked out with Live for Your Die Hard being as much of a success as it was. I mean, it really was just because it was largely a great script. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, it's like, you know, it was already six years. I could see that they were like, oh, we're getting a little antsy. We got to get this moving. Let's just, you know, yeah. let's just go for it. And, you know, this is the pitch that they went with. There there are a couple of things I hate about the Russian stuff in particular. First of all, the um, the the jacket that uh, the fantastic and underused uh, Amore in Alaska is Murphy, uh, the, the file on Jack that he hands Bruce Willis in the beginning. Willis then gets on the plane. And of course, this is, this, this is when he says, I'm going to Russia. I'm going to Russia because I want to find my son. This is, let's note, not a vacation. He gets on the plane and he opens the jacket that comes from this American police detective in the New York City precinct, he opens it up. It's all in Russian. Like the whole <laughs> the whole thing is in Russian. <laughs> and he's like reading it. He's scouring it. <laughs> it feels so, so dumb to me uh, that, that that becomes a thing that, that is important to him. And then, uh, you know, he spends the entire time, like all of his comic beats are, I'm on vacation, which is, it doesn't play because he's not actually on vacation. He's not on vacation. He made right. it clear. The movie made it clear he's not on vacation. So I'm on vacation is not funny. It's not funny. And I, I that is uh, that that comes in and out of the film throughout the film. These these moments that are supposed to be comedic that just are not. It goes. Yeah, it, it, there the the comedy writing throughout really never hits, and it just. I don't know if it was a struggle for them to just really connect with the kind of core parts of McLean. I mean, Skip Woods, I mean, you know, he had been a, a, a an uncredited uh, additional dialogue writer on like Live Free or Die Hard. He's been around the franchise a little bit. You know, he's, he's one mm-hmm. of those guys who kind of comes in and does some fixes and stuff. But somehow uh, it's just like, I don't think he really knew how to connect uh, properly with the characters here because I just don't buy them. And I just don't buy the story. I just don't buy anything going on here. And it's just, you know, was it the fact that the script was just too convoluted anyway? This was not one that was adapted in any way, at least from what I could read, from any other sort of property. From what I could see, this was just this. They wrote it as this was going to be the next Die Hard movie. And here it was. I don't know. Maybe maybe there was something to those other scripts being uh, taken from a different property and adapted into the franchise. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about camera and color. Um, mm, yeah. Wow. Uh, what w- color in particular is it's sort of the first thing you notice is uh, these are people who hate uh, Russia because they want to make it look really bad from the very beginning. Sickly, yep. <laughs> Sickly <laughs> anemic, and gross. It is terrible. Yeah, they they really went to town with the color timing, just just pushing those greens and you know, there's just kind of those sickly colors up. And it just yeah. it's really intense. There are times where it's it's just I mean, it's really contrasty. Like the darks are just like way darker than I ever would have expected them to be. And I'm like, gosh, why are they 
why are they making it look this way? I, I, I really couldn't figure out exactly what John Moore was going for, but I know he's one of those directors who likes to kind of have looks for his films, you know, and I guess this was the look he was pushing for, you know. Well, know. It, what's really interesting about it is the final shot after the um the the crash, you know, is a is, is such a gorgeous use of orange, right? The contrast of the entirety of the film to the last sort of closing shot is uh extreme. It's full on, you know, HDR, gorgeous, beautiful, you know, we have color again. And I wonder if there was an intention in using the color that just didn't pay off. Like, it just didn't add to my interpretation or my ability to interpret what he was going for in the film. It was, you know, way too much of a hidden message, if there was a message in it at all. Well, and that pairs with the shooting style. I mean, I, I felt watching this. I mean, this was like, I mean, we've talked about shaky cam and just, you know, our jiggly monkey uh, sorts of looks in some movies before. Uh, but you look at at what somebody like um, uh, in the Bourne franchise, when when those films are, are being put together, and uh, I, I feel like when you get um, a Paul Greengrass behind it, or uh, Tony Scott behind it, somebody who has a, a handle on what how to use the shaky cam, um, they can really build that into a story in a way that's that is it can be intense and it can intensify the moments and everything. But it's doing it in context of the story, and I still have a sense of things. Mm-hmm. When I watched this, I really felt like I mean, it was just like all over the place to a point where it's just like, why? Why are they moving it like this? It just it doesn't even benefit anything. And the way it was cutting, I mean, it's just intense, and it's it's doing it for its own sake. It just didn't feel like it had the skill of some of those other filmmakers behind it. And as a result, uh, it makes editing a, a disaster, right? I mean, there are yeah, there absolutely. are sequences that are just a mess of sloppiness. You can't keep up with, uh, you know, with what they're doing, where the characters are, positions, you know, continuity is is crazy. You, you know, the the when they we meet the daughter for the first time, and and this is not necessarily a result of shaky cam, but just a statement on continuity. Uh, you know, it, we have the the never shrinking carrot. Uh, we have a carrot where the the main character you constantly hear chewing. the The sound is wow. There's chewing in this scene. You know, even when you're not looking at his mouth, there is significant chewing of carrots going on in this scene. But the carrot never shrinks. I think we see him take a bite of it once, uh, but it never actually shrinks. Uh, those kinds of things. The the uh, the car chase is just rife with. Uh, challenges uh, of continuity. Um, it, it is. It's just sloppy. It's just sloppy all the way through. I, I have no sense of where they're going or what the goal is. It's just. I mean, they seem like they're all over the place through that whole car chase. Oh, the and car there's chase. Some, yeah. There's there are some great moments in yeah. it, but uh, yeah. But I mean, you watch the cuts. I mean, we're going to talk about part of the car chase here in a minute in our deep scene dive. But it's, I mean, there are chunks where it's like the editing is just so rushed and sloppy. It's like the the camera team did not get the shots they needed. So the editing team is making up by, by doing these cover-ups to just squeeze things together as much as they can. And it just makes it look like a mess. It is a mess. I yeah. will say the military hardware... The uh, those two helicopters are really cool. Uh, obviously, John Moore feels the same way and showcased them a lot. It, it, it's fine. It made for some 
some very cool effect sequences. And and I think if anything, to to celebrate this movie for anything, you have to celebrate it for um, you know, the the sheer sort of artwork that it is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's I think where the film excels is in the in the um, complicated stunt work that the the team actually put together in the making of the film, the use of the really interesting weapons. I think there are some interesting weapons within the film, the fascinating helicopters that they use. I like all of this stuff. It makes for a really cool, really um, uh, intensely sounding film. Um, it, it's exciting to watch, but it still leaves a lot by the wayside. There is still some cartoon falling. <laughs> uh, I I made the point of Justin Long's fall in through the trapdoor last week. This week, it's it's one of those things where if you know if you're a McLean, don't worry, there will be something below you every time you fall down. <laughs> and I found it just I found it really really funny. And, and well, and yeah, that was like. I mean, they highlight the little swimming pool when they come in. Yeah, right. I can't remember whatever whatever joke they have about Jersey water or whatever it is. Um, just so they can telegraph that. Oh yes, this is this is the gun on the mantelpiece. We'll be using that later. Look at that pool. We're going <laughs> to fall in it soon. <laughs> oh yes. yes. When as we the, fall as... off this building, let's make sure it's on this side. <laughs> <laughs> as the baddie uh, drives her helicopter at them. <laughs> Right. What an insane way to go. Like, why does she suddenly go so nuts uh, that she <laughs> she runs the helicopter? It's just it's just insane. Uh, the the final crash effect, right? As she's as she's blowing the helicopter up. Speaking of weird editing, they they make a huge point of building an effect of this of one of the giant blades of the Mi twenty six helicopter flying toward the statue of Stalin, and they cut before it beheads Stalin. <laughs> Why did they do that? <laughs> uh, sweet, sweet Russian money in this movie, I'm sure. Uh, Lucy McLean mm. totally got the shaft, and I, I kind of flipped through it. She was in the theatrical cut of this movie, which is very strange. It was a weird thing. I mean, it's weird. So there's the theatrical cut, and then they uh, they released an extended cut. Looking at, um, there's a website um, that I, I should have open, but I don't right now, um, that breaks down every change in the two, uh, in the two versions. Um, and it, not just this film, but lots of films. They'll kind of look at extended versus theatrical or, the, you know, PG-13 versus R or whatever it is. They'll kind of give you a nice breakdown of them. And the the... It's like this is a weird film where they I mean it's a huge re-edit throughout. I mean we're going to again our deep scene dive. I watched both of them just now back to back and there are just uh, editing changes all through just just because it seems. Like I can't even figure out why. It's not like they're in some cases they are more violent but it's not like it's not like a, a constant thing. So um and in the extended cut they decide to completely cut Lucy McLean out. The only thing I could think of there is um I mean the extended cut obviously came out for the for the DVD and Blu-ray and uh, digital releases. Uh, maybe in the reviews of the film the Lucy McLean element just was ragged on a lot because it was so poorly written and maybe the 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 team behind the film said, "You know what? Let's cut that out cuz that got our most complaints." That's the only thing I could think of. That hurts my heart. 
uh, obviously. Very. And it hurts the film because the, I mean, it, apart from the fact that, yeah, we have her drop him off at the, at, at the airport in the beginning of the film, there are, uh, there's a place where she, you know, she calls him uh, in the middle of the, uh, of the uh, car thing in the first half of the film, she calls him while he's doing a crazy stunt. And that's, that's funny. Uh, but the coda on this, the callback is that she actually meets, uh, John and Jack at the airport at the end of the film, right? At, right. at sunset. Yeah. And it's really beautiful. It is a really reunite, uh, reuniting kind of uh, event for the whole family. And uh, I found that uh, really touching and super disappointing that, um, that we didn't get that in the extended release. It really, it really was a, a nice moment to see the three of them reunited, which made me feel like, you know, if they continue the franchise, having all three of them in another film versus Meryl Streep and Michael Gambon. I mean, that's really what we Although, need. Andy, I'm never going to be able to see another Die Hard if it doesn't star Meryl Streep and Michael Gambon. They really also need to bring Bonnie Bedelia back. They do. Come on, Bonnie. Uh, <laughs> Just make that, that would be great. An amazing movie. <laughs> <laughs> are you kidding it's like the whole fa- the whole mclean family against the rest of the grubers <laughs> hey, we've got some cousins cousin johan and, he- and heimlich gruber are here <laughs> heimlich is a chef i think heimlich is only a caterpillar <laughs> i don't think anyone is actually named heimlich he is and he wears lederhosen but they are still here for the money and the gold and the revenge. Of course, of course, yes. Oh, I'm oh. getting so excited for this movie. We need to write it. I want merch. <laughs> I don't even care about the movie. I want, I want I the want... lines uh, on a t-shirt, and I want. <laughs> we should do merch for a movie that's never been made. That is Die Hard Six. Star. That would be awesome. Oh, Andy. This is gold. <laughs> oh, those lucky Patreon members of ours. Such gold. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, uh, so th- speaking of, uh, you know, callbacks to other Die Hard movies, I just have to mention The Final Fall, right? The Final Fall, we have one of the antagonists that we're not supposed to like falls in slow motion, right? Uh, we also have Shoot the Glass, right? It's not, it, they don't say shoot the glass. It's it, Instead, it, it, he leads into, it, nobody's going to die today. And then they shoot the glass. There's a lot of glass to be shot. Uh, are there too many callbacks to the first Die Hard movie? It's a Die Hard movie. There should be callbacks. Um, I don't mind the callbacks when they when they come in like that. I I think that it makes sense. My my issue that I have is uh, when there's when it lacks kind of the the core elements that actually make it worthwhile. And this one just didn't have that. So so I like I like some of that stuff. I I like the final fall. It's just. It would have been fine if it was a good movie and you had a great fall and you're like, oh, man, that was a great callback to to Simon. Uh, I mean, not to Simon, Hans, but to Hans. To Hans. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't get that. We get just, you know, and it's just such a shame because I actually really like uh, Sebastian Koch. I think he's uh, a fantastic actor. Um, but, ugh. but yeah, you yeah. watch you watch him having to do that callback fall. And it's like, ugh. Should we uh, should we review our Yippie Kaye ranking? <laughs> I think we should. <laughs> oh, so which we started last week. Yes, yeah, yeah, we should say uh, so. So this one, the Yippie Kaye. Well, t- tell everybody where's the Yippie Kaye in this one? 
Well, honestly, uh, I don't remember. Because uh, what well, I just what... <laughs> watched was he gets out of the car with Lucy in the trailer, uh, in trailer one, and he was walking into the airport, and he says, yippee and that's now the yippee in this. Is that the one? No, it's it's at the it's toward the end, when he's he's in the the big helicopter, and he gets into the truck that's in the back of it, and, you know, he knows oh, that they're right. about to shoot down his son, and he goes, the the S we do for our kids and he drives the truck out of the back of the helicopter uh and you know it's attached of course and it throws the whole helicopter off and right 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 no i, stuff, I remember so. that now so where does that land in your overall ranking of yippee mrfers well i i think we also <laughs> you know we also should just say that i'm going to give a, a give a, a um a bonus to this one because it does have the fantastic poster Yippee Mother Russia yeah. <laughs> which I think is actually really great plus one cultural relevance <laughs> yeah exactly okay so I think last time I was really leaning toward number four as my as number one and then number one is number two <laughs> that sounds awful when I say it like so that so I was still number one is number one and then yes. because of the just you know because of the heart because of the feels yeah no i hear you but i, I think the you. rest of our rankings were good we're yeah. in agreement and then you 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 put um the alternate ending of three as third right yes because i was thinking about that and i'm like i think i'm gonna have to agree with you on that one because i actually even though i have issues with the fact that you know here they are playing uh you know um, spin the bottle with a rocket launcher and i mean it's like what a stupid way to take down your enemy because it could be pointing at him <laughs> oh it just it made me so irritated but yes i did like that line given there yeah um, that was good. i still think the the regular ending of yippee Kaye is uh, in number three is my least favorite because it's just so anemic um so i'm gonna go okay so let's see i'm gonna go four one I actually like this one where he drives the truck off the. <laughs> this, as much as I dislike Are it, you film, this you're gonna might be three. Really? This might be three. Yes. I, I like that. So, four, so, one, five. Four, one, five. Uh, let's see. And then alternate three. three alt. Then two. Then, then re- regular three. That's that's six YBKs, except for the one that I mentioned. There is the the one that we get in trailer one for this movie, the teaser trailer, which is him saying Yippikaye. I don't he doesn't say MRFer, uh, but it's him going into the airport to go to Russia. Well, there's also the the Yippikaye that he says in the trailer that we watched for Die Hard Four that I was like, meh. Okay, don't you don't know. like that. You don't like that. All right, that's fine. That's fine. So but I, I, I am, do. I yeah yeah. Okay, I am go ahead. Definitely one four three alt. I I think I'll give you two, and then I will give you five, and then three, and that's my six. Yeah, three is pretty anemic. I I didn't like this one as much as uh, you did. Clearly. Uh, in the truck, I, I he think he drives it's because a truck out of the back of a helicopter. He drives a truck Come out on. of the back, and then this is, is great. This, this is where he gets he gets thrown right across the from across the the valley <laughs> into the glass. He gets, he gets thrown. He would have died hard so like many nine times, times, times in, yes, in that sequence. Yes. It's ridiculous. It's just <laughs> horrible. 
Yeah. That sequence alone, he he broke every body, every bone in his body. But that's okay. Well, that's yeah. like earlier when he, you know, the car stealing scene. You know, I mean, that's after he rolls a truck. Yeah. You know, he gets a <laughs> rocket launcher yes. shot at him. He yeah. turns it and he flips the car down the street like five times. He rolls out of the car. You know, gets hit by this guy's car, rolls on the ground, and then he steals the car and drives and continues the chase. Yeah. It's like me. I don't know if that would work for Well, there's a metal plate under his skull. That's all right. (laughs) It's a metal plate. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Oh, wait. Uh, Okay, I have to... I have to... No, just... Now now you got me thinking about this final fall with with the slow-mo fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now all I can think of is Meryl Streep doing that fall. (laughs) (laughs) Yes! I, I want that. Yes! I want that on a shirt too. I just want her face like falling in perspective. Oh, that's so good. Yes. And it's the caption is just cowboy, right? (laughs) That's her last line. (laughs) Come on. Gold. We, this is really gold. I mean, somebody who who's in Hollywood right now needs to make this for us. Please. Please. Meryl Streep. Uh, so I uh, speaking of bad guys. And you though, know what her name is though. You know what her name is. <laughs> What's her name? Sophia. Sophia Gruber. Ooh. Right? And you know you know why that's important? Because she she didn't even get to make the choice. <laughs> <laughs> he killed them both. That's why she's so mad. <laughs> Sophia's choice. Oh my god. Do you see this is beautiful? There is no way this doesn't make a boatload of money. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> Okay, Man. can we? Can, what, what do you want to talk about next, please? Okay, so bad guys. So we're talking about bad guys oh, yeah, with, yeah, the, yeah. with the groupers and everything. So, um, but I, I just have to say, I think it's really funny in my head. Okay, so all the bad guys basically get killed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now the bad guys they kill the other political bad guy, right? They yes. have his his secret, like their secret <laughs> spy, who's their massage therapist, right? right. Break his neck. <laughs> So it's like, okay, so wait. So now everybody's dead except for the killer massage therapist. <laughs> so I like to imagine that that massage therapist is now the leader of the group. <laughs> totally. Totally. Oh, man. Oh, that's another movie, Andy. But because of the law of Die Hard, that's going to have to be Die Hard uh, 7 is the return yeah, of the right, massage yeah. therapist. Oh, that's good. Who's Russian. Oh, man, we've got the rest of the series just locked down. We better get on the phone with Bruce. Oh, so how how did let's talk about uh, backstory? I don't have a lot of the backstory other since this is one where it's just kind of they wanted to make another sequel to the Die Hard franchise and they put it into the works and and here it was. Now originally, uh, no Murrow, who did the 300 pe- prequel, um, which was what 300 Dawn of the Empire, I think. Um, yeah, he like was that. attached to direct it, and then that fell through. And then uh, John Moore came on board. Um, I think I, I don't really know exactly what drew them to him, but uh, they saw something that they liked in his films, and they picked him. Now, I thought what was really funny is that they actually had the script originally titled Die Hard 24 7. This is and, my favorite uh, story. <laughs> so great. <laughs> and apparently it caused so much confusion 
<laughs> because everybody in the internet communities started thinking that, ooh, this is going to be a crossover movie with 24, the TV show. <laughs> and it's going to be Bruce Willis and Kiefer Sutherland working together. To Can you imagine them. Jack Bauer and John McClane? It's just, it actually, the whole movie is a locked room and it's just them torturing each other. Oh my goodness. That's the whole thing. Yeah. So funny. And so obviously they uh, decided to not go with that. It's a little too confusing (laughs) to people. Uh, Correction, it was 300 Rise of an Empire. Oh, Rise of an Empire, right. That doesn't make I was thinking of Apes, Dawn, (laughs) Rise. (laughs) Those apes got me all confused. Let's, uh, Let's do the deep scene dive. Let's do it. This scene, uh, John uh, punches a Russian for not recognizing him and steals his car. Then uh, John drives across traffic apologetically. Yeah, we we really picked this just specifically because uh, it's just a, a, a about a two minute chunk of of moment out of the car chase because it has a pretty interesting stunt that they did where they drive this car off this bridge down across the tops of a bunch of other cars um, before it uh, kind of escapes that uh, traffic jam and gets onto the road so it can continue the pursuit. Um, and really, it's just, okay, the story is dumb. This is a, it's a kind of a dumb, you know, uh, honestly, it's actually probably better than the flying car that we got in uh, Die Hard uh, 3, I think. Well, I think we had flying cars in two of them. But um, this, I thought, actually worked pretty well in context. But um yeah, it's it has some interesting stuff going for it. It's just also a little over the top and ridiculous. The thing I hate the most about it is again, it's such an exemplary uh you know model for terrible continuity. Oh yeah. Oh my god. The he's driving across this bridge and we have these great glorious wide shots of traffic that show it's very clearly a, a a metal railing then it's a double metal railing but when he finally drives through it it is a glass barrier that is no railing at all it's just glass and it it like i can't not see that yeah i just can't unsee this significant start to this sequence uh as as a just massive oversight again I, to your point just missing the material and editors just having to make it up um i i do think uh, you know, once we forgive, and let's force forgive everybody, we're going to force forgi- force ourselves to forgive the fact that uh, John McClane is is doing some really horrible things, probably to civilians in their cars by driving this giant Mercedes G class wagon across their heads. Um, it, it it's 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 a cool kind of a cool fall. I, I, do you believe it? Like when you watch it, do you believe that he could make this drive? Well, I I believe I mean they actually did this, but again, it's because the cars are so close together, right? Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things where it's like a point zero zero one percent chance that it could actually work. You know, As everything would absolutely things, have to, yeah, right. Most and of these so, movies, we definitely right. know that these movies are, but some of these sequences I believe more than others, and this one, yeah, I, I, it's this is on the yeah. lower scale. Long it's on the lower, lower scale. scale, yeah. Uh, you know, and I think to that end, I think it's, but it speaks to what I think these filmmakers are trying to do. 
and again, this is, speaks to the problems that I think we both have with the film. They are working to make some bigger, better, more exciting, more action-packed stunts and everything. And they they come up with a really interesting stunt that uh, I can't remember what they called it, but uh, you know, the gridlock dance or something like that. Um, they had a funky name for it as they kind of as this whole thing as he kind of the gridlock stepladder as he kind of comes down across all the cars. Um, it's a nice stunt. It's real stunt. They're doing something real. But I think in context of what they they are working toward, aka making a great stunt in this car chase in the in the in the Die Hard franchise, they're leaving out the sense of humanity. And that's, you know, all of these people that are potentially getting hurt and injured because of McLean doing something that could hurt people. I mean, yes, there are people getting hurt in the other Die Hard films. I mean, in the in the in the tunnel. Um, there's, there are cars crashing into each other all over the place, but it's not because of McLean. McLean is not causing these accidents, you know, and, and and that's what frustrates me so much here is, is McLean is making choices that are actively putting people in harm's way. You didn't see it, uh, but in the extended edition, the way that the scene ends, he gets off the cars and he gets back onto the other side of the road and he cuts into traffic and he, and, you know, cuts into some, in front of somebody who, and then, uh, he's like, sorry, as he drives away. In the extended edition, the car that he cuts in front of gets hit by a car behind him, and that car behind them flips over and rolls down the road. And it's just like, yeah. that person's going straight to the hospital. And I, that's one of the things that I think is so frustrating with this film. It's a fantastic stunt. I like seeing this car do this stepladder thing going across the traffic. But in context of the story and what it's saying about McLean, it really ends up bothering me. You know what it is, Andy? It is like a return to absurd Dukes of Hazard style uh, stunt driving. Right. Where it it didn't matter. Like you you already were so dissociated from the fact that there were humans in the cars when they were flipping over things and crashing and cops running into or or smoking the bandit. Right. It it was a comedy. So you didn't really think about uh, the implication of all of these, you know, incredibly horrible traffic you know, in <laughs> annihilations, I don't know another word for it, but uh, it, it doesn't fit in the context of, of this movie and this character because of what we set up in the first film, right? We know we, we have a sense for his motivations, right? And in that film, it was a very strong motivation for sort of love of humanity, love of family, and, um, uh, and, and his duty, Right, he's driven by duty. Even though he doesn't like it, he doesn't want to be there. He's driven by duty, uh, and in this one, it's just that that piece of it is is sort of swept away. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very frustrating. Um, I like the cast who's in our scene, though. I mean, Bruce, I think, is nice. Um, again, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She calls him inconveniently in the middle <laughs> of it does. in the theatrical cut, not in the extended cut. Um, you know, uh, and I mean, you know, they work fine uh, together. Jai Courtney and Sebastian Koch in the car that they're pursuing. And then, of course, um, uh, Rasha Bukvik as Alec. I mean, he's an interesting villain in this. I, I kind of like him as a villain. I think he he's, uh, you know, just kind of I don't know. I like the smiley villain. You know, he's not uh, quite as crazy as our uh, Inglorious Bastards type of villain. But I think that there's something interesting with him. But um, yeah. I don't know. It's it's a frustrating scene because I think it could have uh, the whole thing could have just been so much better. Yep, I absolutely agree. Uh, John Sela uh, behind the camera. What do you think of it? We've already talked about the shaky cam stuff. 
Uh, you notice anything in this sequence? Uh, I, it's hard to say. I mean, it's just everything's moving so fast. And, and uh, I, I didn't notice anything that really stood out other than just lots of shaky cam and just lot, a lot of just movement. That's something I did notice. Um, there are a couple times where the camera cuts to like really, really wide shots that feel like establishing shots, but they also feel like there's supposed to be something happening within it that we're supposed to be looking at. And I can never figure out like, what am I, why are we cutting to this? I don't know what they're showing me here. And that happens a number of times throughout where I just, and I, I don't know if I'm blaming Jonathan Sela with his camera for that, although some of the way the movements are happening, certainly, but, or the way it's edited, but it all kind of comes together. Um, I know there was a lot of handheld. That was another thing that John Moore really pushed. So Jonathan Sela and his team were really working to make this with that kind of loose uh, style. And I've got to say, coming off of two films that John McTiernan did, um, I mean, even the other two guys, Rennie Harlan and Len Wiseman, I just felt like they had a better handle on the frame and this loose handheld camera work that was going on here. I just like, you know, okay, I get it. A lot of people are doing that now, but it didn't need to fit in the Die Hard franchise. You know, it's it's a world that hasn't needed that before. So don't do it. Credit to Dan Zimmerman, editor, um, and and his team for doing whatever he did (laughs) (laughs) because i'm sure i'm sure this was uh this was a uh, quite a quite a project yes Uh, indeed marco beltrami is back for the the music uh i I thought it was good i actually liked it i mean it fits it it, the thing that marco beltrami's done is he's taken michael kamen's themes and he's found ways to kind of blend those in a little bit while also bringing some of his own themes in this movie had some interesting kind of ticking music that i thought worked nicely particularly around the court sequence um but even at the end of this sequence you get that nice sort of like Mm -hmm. die hard tune Mm -hmm. that became so familiar right at the end of this little bit that we're talking about so i mean he he does a nice job of kind of continuing that feel i just want to bring up uh cole hauser (laughs) As Collins, <laughs> who is one of those, it's another one like uh, like uh, Amore in Alaska, right? But when we we have a guy like Cole Hauser who's a face, like we know who he is, we knew who he was uh, at 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 this point already. Like he's he has been he's been around, uh, and to have him show up and be you know shot as a bit character in this in this sequence uh, uh, so quickly. Uh, I, I found it was really frustrating. Uh, Amori Nolasco is in the film for about two and a half minutes. Clearly, hey, you got a day free kind of a character. Uh, I really wish he had been more of a, a central uh, to the to the film as well. So that was that was frustrating. Uh, and anyhow, uh, we we have a sense that uh, you know Bruce would do another one. Well, he said, I, I don't know if it was before this one came out or or since that he said that, uh, you know, he uh, is interested in shooting a sixth one before he retires the character. Um, obviously, we need to get on get on that quickly with our idea so that we can get that made. Yeah, yeah, because he needs to be in it, right? Bruce yeah, needs absolutely. to be in this one. Absolutely. That we're, that we're making. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about uh, the uh, diehard villains, how they stack up? We've done the Yippie Kayes. Uh, yeah, I think we should. I mean, it's an interesting set of villains that we have here. Interestingly, all really kind of in it for the money. Um, and I, I like, I, I think they do a good job um, through most of the films of of creating a a 
a more complex villain than sometimes we get. And I, I just enjoy the thread of them. So uh, it's, yeah, it's worth looking at them and seeing what we think overall. Well, I think that the, I don't know, probably the most interesting ones are, are one and three, because we have Hans Gruber and, and his sidekick, Carl Vresky, and we have Simon Gruber br- with a brother with uh, Katja uh, as, as his principal uh, thug. Uh, and, and those two as brothers are, were interesting. I, I almost feel like the, the Simon Gruber, you know, was... Uh, almost felt like stunt casting uh, by the time we come back to Gruber. How did the, it, do, you, do you find him as uh, interesting, as compelling an antagonist as Hans? I don't think so. Um, I love Jeremy Irons. I think he's a fascinating actor to watch in almost everything he does. I don't know. Um, I think there was an interesting element to having him come in and play um, Hans's brother. I don't think um, I like him nearly as much as Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber. I mean, it's hard to beat Hans Gruber. Um, but I do appreciate that they really went to an effort to do something interesting for that. And so to that end, I, I give Simon a pretty high grade, even if it's not an A. I'd say he's you know a B plus for me. I think so too. Um, I struggle a little bit with Simon just because of uh, you know some of the uh, I, I don't know. He he sort of had to walk the line between the gentleman thief and the the military leader, and that's where it falls apart for me. Right when he puts on the the fatigues and and is hanging out on top of the truck, and I, I mean, it just he deflates as a character of substance to me, particularly when compared to uh, you know Hans and and his absolute um you know devotion to to uh being a gentleman uh i really i think he's just a class act william stewart colonel william stewart in number two um it, he's he's the stoic he is uh, driven by by principle um and also sort of a revenge story I I think he's an interesting villain, if only because I think he's got such an interesting opening that I hadn't seen with villains before, and it just kind of sets you off, uh, regardless of where they're hiding his junk. It's it. it does. I'm so glad you're still thinking about that. I I <laughs> just, was going to bring it up, but now I don't have to. Where's the junk? William right. Stewart's is taped. That's right. Uh, but I I think that he is uh, he's interesting mainly because of that. But I do like that he really is just such an evil evil person to the point of crashing this plane. So I, I like that they actually take him there. And that's somewhere they don't take Simon. And it's interesting because Simon, you know, he's threatening to blow up the school, but he's just like, but I'm not a monster. And uh, but William Stewart, they had no problem making him the monster. So it's mm-hmm. interesting. Is like Simon Gruber a bit of an apology for that aspect of uh, Stewart? I don't know. Oh, I don't like thinking of it that way, but you might be right. Uh, yeah. Thomas Gabriel, though, is, is another standout to me. He would be my number two after Hans. Um, I really uh, just adored Timothy Oliphant's um, work in this film as a as a principal antagonist, and paired with Mylin, uh, you know, Maggie Q is Mylin. I thought they just made a fantastic duo. Uh, I loved what they brought to the the you know uh, the the sort of technological heist part, and I, I just thought that it was very smart, uh, and um, was just eager to see them every time they were on screen. Yeah, I I would put um I would do the same. I would put Thomas Gabriel right under Hans Gruber. Um and then, you know, going from there it's like Hans Gabriel 
I don't know. I'm I'm a little torn here because I feel like I might put Williams uh, Colonel Stewart above Simon uh, only because I feel like you know I there are some issues with Simon. You mentioned the struggle with him in the military garb. I agree with that. I also get frustrated because he never really returns to the Simon Says games. Yep. And that was an aspect that was so strong in the in the first part of the script. So I actually I think I would put. Uh, Colonel Stewart three, Simon Gruber four, and then way below that, I'd put you know all of the villains that we have. I guess Yuri uh, Komarov is is the main villain, but it certainly is a slew of villains in in five. So yeah, I mean, pretty much Russia is um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Russia, big bad That's Russia. Hans Gabriel Stewart Simon and Russia. We'll lock that lock that in and prepare for uh, Meryl. <laughs> Sophia. She's going straight Sophia to the Cooper. top, baby. Straight to the top. Oh boy! <laughs> How to do an award season? Uh, well, you know, it's uh, this is not exactly a, a big award movie. Um, it did weirdly though still get four wins and seven other nominations. Um, a couple of the uh, a couple of them were at the Golden Schmoes, where it won for biggest disappointment of the year. Um, it beat out Man of the uh, Man of Steel, Elysium. Iron Man 3, and something we talked about fairly recently, Star Trek Into Darkness. Ouch. So, uh, yes, indeed. Um, It was also nominated for Worst Movie of the Year at the Golden Schmoes. It didn't win the Worst Movie of the Year. Um, That It lost to Movie 43, but it was... uh, (laughs) The other nominees were After Earth, Grown Ups 2, and Scary Movie 5. Um, A lot of numbers in those ones. I would actually, uh, I movie forty three. I kind of felt like it was a little bit of a guilty pleasure for me. I wouldn't call it worst movie of the year. I would definitely put uh, After Earth up above that one. So. Oh, totally, totally. Oh, man, what a oh. mess that was. Uh, how about uh, the budget? How to do with the box office? John Moore didn't get as much as his three predecessors to make number five in the series. He got $92 million, still a lot of money, which is uh, $94.7 million in today's dollars. Still, it's almost twice what McTiernan got to make the first one in adjusted dollars. It just goes to show that what uh, McTiernan did was, uh, you know, he really knew how to make a mark. Uh, the studio decided to try their hand with the movie as a Valentine's release this time, opening at February 14th, 2013, opposite Safe Haven, Escape from Planet Earth, and Beautiful Creatures. It opened at number one, barely beating out Identity Thief in its second week, uh, but it dropped to number five in week two and out of the top ten by week four. In the end, it ended up making $67 million domestically and $238.6 million internationally for a total of $315 million in today's dollars. That gives it an adjusted profit per finish minute of $2.2 million. In terms of the whole franchise, number three actually ranks the highest according to adjusted profit per finish minute, followed by two, four, five, and then one. But when you look at how profitable the movies were according to how much the co- they cost, number one still holds the top slot, making back five times its budget. Number five is actually in last place, earning back only 3.3 times its budget. Still, it all was a profitable enough franchise to warrant Len Wiseman's upcoming prequel. Do you know something about this? Is that a thing that's actually coming? Has it been announced? I thought it was in development hell. I, I don't know what sort of development hell it's in. On IMDb, it only just says that it is announced. Um, there's nothing on Wikipedia. There's nothing on the Die Hard uh, franchise page uh, listing it. Um, so I don't know. It's it's one of those things that we might hear more of, but it's like a lot of these things. I think they have to come up with something that uh, everybody's going to want to move forward with. I mean, I yeah. think if Bruce Willis is really saying it's going to be his end to the John McClane character, then I think they're going to be pushing to make sure 
that it gets Meryl Streep in it. <laughs> yes, yes, they are. <laughs> and Michael Gambon. Uh, Michael Gambon, yes. Okay, Andy. Well, uh, uh, tilting at windmills, though it may appear, we're going to try and rank it. Yes, we are. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel, and you'll see all of our movies. You're going to want to go, I'm, I'm going to bet, you're going to want to scroll a little bit to find this one. Or you could just swipe over to your show notes right now in your podcast player of choice and tap on the word flickchart. That link should take you straight to this movie. All right, here we go. A good day to die hard. Or, oh, brother, where art thou? Oh, brother. Definitely. Oh, brother. A good day to die hard or the host. I'm going to say the host. Yes, you are. I so rarely pick that I one. know. I'm, I'm excited. This is good. <laughs> a good day to die hard or say anything. Say, say anything. anything. A good day to die hard or Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> <laughs> die Courtney or... Uh, a little, uh, uh, what's his name? Yeah. Yeah, you don't even know. You don't know. <laughs> Shia. Shia LaBeouf. Shia La- there we go. Chai or Shia. Chai oh, or Shia. Uh, I, oh, Andy, I'm going to make some enemies here, but I'm going to go with Crystal Skull. I am too. <gasps> A Good Day to Die Hard or some Stephen King with Apt Pupil. I'm leaning Apt Pupil. Er, I'm leaning Die Hard uh, just for the car chase, I guess. Um, okay, I will give you Die Hard, and I will raise you the final fall into the never-ending pool. <laughs> okay. A good day to Die Hard or Pritzi's Honor? Good day to Die Hard. I'm going to say Pritzi's Honor. Ugh. Snooze. I'm feeling a little flexible, though. <laughs> By the time we're here? Really? You know what? I'll put on either one and read a book. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'll give it a good day. Good day to die hard. Okay, we'll take that one. A good day All to right. die hard, or uh, a little George C. Scott action in the hospital. Oh, the hospital. Yeah, I'll say the hospital. Yeah, that's it, man. A good day to die hard. Three twenty-one out of three thirty-six. I'm so glad it didn't reach Prince. I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> that is a that's a fairly grim uh, ranking, Andy, coming in that low. How to do on your personal list? I guess it fared a little better. <laughs> I mean, you know, according to uh, the ratings, we just ranked it on on our uh, uh, next real flick chart page. It says it should be at four out of 100. Um, I ended up at uh, about 19 out of 100. I'm at 3179 out of 3916. So it's it's still pretty low. I'm at 850 out of 1,007, and I was disappointed that Flickchart stopped having me rank. Like, I wanted to keep going. <laughs> um, but uh, that either way, it, it's a one-star movie, and I'm, I'm yeah. not going to give it a, a like. I'm not going to give it a heart on letterbox.com slash the next reel. I don't need to watch it again. No, and that's that I think for me is the biggest disappointment is I was I was looking forward to watching this saying, okay, maybe it's bad, but it'll still be a fun diehard movie to to watch. You know, there are those movies in franchises that it's like, okay, I can watch that again. Not this one, man. It was real uh, a struggle. And it's just it's just it made me sad to watch this and feel like this was the final entry so far in the franchise. What a disappointment. This is this whole franchise is just ripe for a redemption story. Like we need a great a great reboot. You know what I mean? Not even a reboot. I mean or a, a closer, whatever. We need a great 
a great six. And yes, then we, we can, can all go to bed. Here, here. All right, Andy. Uh, uh, this this has been a, uh, in spite of this movie, this has been a really fun series. I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching all the Die Hard movies back to back. I had never done that. I, I usually watch them just sort of standalone. Uh, and I tend to go to my favorite. And so it, it was really fun to watch the, uh, the other four. Um, you know, and the completionist in me uh, enjoyed getting this one under my belt. So uh, Die Hard is done. And I think it's fair to say we've got a change in tune coming. <laughs> That's very fitting. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, way to uh, uh, kind of dance yeah, on over exactly. to that. <laughs> And to you, sir, I doff my hat. (laughs) Yes, our next series, we are going to be uh, doing a foursome of musicals of the 60s. It's going to be a fun little series that's going to include Mary Poppins, The Young Girls of Rochefort, Thoroughly Modern Millie, and Funny Girl. I don't think we will see any Russian helicopters in any of these movies, and (laughs) that's probably not so bad. Uh, you Have you seen all of these? Have you seen them? I have only seen one of these. Oh, good fun. We should actually say that uh, that the first one we're talking about next week, Mary Poppins, that is actually uh, one that our Patreon supporters over on Slack helped us uh, vote on. So That's right. it's exciting to talk about uh, that one next. I think it's safe to say that you, you went uh, fairly far overboard with the, the voting splits. I think you discovered a tool in Slack, and you got really excited about it. Do you remember that? <laughs> I'm trying to remember what tool it was. Oh, dear. I, it was one of the like voting tools, and man, oh, did you right. get excited. And it was like every time I opened the computer, there was another vote for like three straight days. Okay, but what do you think about Mary Poppins versus the mummy tomb of the dragon emperor? What if we did that? I know it's not a musical. Vote. <laughs> that was a good three days. Good three days. That was fun. Yes, it was. Well, this has been really fun. Thank you, Andy, as always. Thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show, subscribing to the show, even, uh, you know, when we talk for probably too long than this movie deserves. Uh, Thank goodness, because when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Amazon giveth, Andy. As Amazon always doeth. Now, we didn't like this movie very much, so of course we're going to have to do five-star reviews. Yes, yes, we are. Absolutely. Do you mind if I go first? Go uh, for it. You do it. It's a little bit bit along. A little bit along. It's from uh, Richard the Buying-Hearted back in 2014. He says, boy, those diehard critics die hard, don't they? Oh, for gosh sakes. By the fifth go-round, there are still people who expect the movie to hit all the first movie's notes. Even movies have to move on. I think this one is wicked action movie and having John McClane go full circle and be the whining stand around is a hoot in my book. Besides, he snaps out of it in about about five minutes as only John would Bruce Willis <laughs> doesn't do anything by half measures, but he does everything with sly glee in his eye and with that wily delivery of his. 
It's a really fun show to watch because of him and this new situation he's in with his ne'er-do-well son arrested and facing the death penalty or life in a Russian prison. Cut him some slack, guys. I, for one, love it, and I bet I'm not alone. And all those other reviewers who don't feel this is diehard material and didn't find anything to marvel at are probably wasting their time looking for a cameo by Stan Lee. Don't let them spoil your fun. Dad riding to the rescue and getting himself smack dab in the middle of a mess of international proportions, not to mention having Dad spoil his son's admission in (laughs) Moscow is grist for the diehard mill. And boy... Do they grind that grain down? The opening action sequence alone is worth the price of admission with a car chase that has to be seen to be believed. The one-liners firing back and forth between Dad and Junior are rapid-fire entertainment at its best. The plot also cleverly mirrors their own angst with its setup of father and daughter and makes the goings-on even more pointed in the end. Get the movie and have a really exciting evening with Bruce and his new domestic crisis, as only it could happen to John McClane. It's great. Now, mm. even movies... <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know. I, I don't want to dive into it. But even movies do have to move on. They do. They have to move on from being great to being just a bunch of crap. They do. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> the uh, yeah, rapid-fire entertainment at its best. Yes. Jeez. <laughs> That's what it is. Well, I've got I've got a five star by uh, Tammy Herzog, who I can only imagine must be related to Werner Herzog. Oh, because Werner also writes fantastic reviews. Yes, I, so I have to read this in my best Werner Herzog, which is probably pretty awful. <laughs> <laughs> These are a great movies. We will watch many times. <laughs> that was good. I I noticed you did go with Werner, and you didn't. You didn't make it Tammy. Should I do it Tammy? Okay. I think you should do Tammy. Okay, here we go. These are great (laughs) movies we will watch many times. That's Tammy. (laughs) That's Tammy. (laughs) There she was. Thanks, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022... We switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs> 